to release the kids to Children's Church at this time so you guys can head out to the lesson that is prepared. They're already there. So we're going to continue looking at the uh, spiritual disciplines, the spiritual exercises. Four weeks ago, we talked about the uh, exercise of listening, needing to listen to God. Uh, three weeks ago, we talked about discerning, which is learning how to uh, decide whether what you are hearing, what you're being led to is from God or it is from another source. We talked two weeks ago about meditating and the four different kinds of meditation, one of which is study. We talked last week about prayer and how prayer is calling upon or connecting with the Lord, that when we pray for his will, we are connecting ourselves literally with him. When we pray for others, we are connecting God with them, whether they want it or not. That is why the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. So this week, we're going to come to probably what is the least popular of the disciplines, and that is the discipline of self-denial. Um, Self-denial is a critical aspect of Christianity. It is at the root of what it means to be a Christian, and Jesus makes this clear. So I just want to set this uh, uh, correctly as we begin. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So at the very beginning of our walk with Jesus, what does he say? He says, if anybody wants to follow me, everyone wants, if anyone wants to belong to me, it begins with self-denial. And he uses the imagery of taking up a cross even before he has gone to the cross uh, himself. He is using this imagery that we take upon ourselves the death of self, the denial of self, in order to be able to be what it is that God is created us to be. When we say self-denial, what are we denying ourselves? What is it that we are not allowing ourselves to do? What is it that we are restraining from? Well, we're not denying life. We're not saying that uh, we as Christians have a death wish, that we are, uh, we are just ready to leave this world. It isn't that. It isn't that we have to uh, deny ourselves from work or prosperity. We don't have to deny ourselves from uh, uh, production, family, all of those things. What is it that we are supposed to deny ourselves of? So in order to understand that, we have to understand that there are three biological imperatives, three drives that God placed in you. And it is going to be uh, uh, important to understand this. God speaks these three things over Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. He says, these three things is what you're going to do. This drive is in you. Then at the, at the other side of the flood, when Noah and his family are getting off of the ark, God says these three things again to them. So we see that these are three uh, uh, drives that God has placed within us. So let's look at these three biological imperatives with which we were created. The first one is we have a drive for control. All of us. We want to be in charge. We want to have control of the situations that we are in. We want to have control of what other people around us do. We want to have control of what other people say. 
we want control. I was out working yesterday uh, on the deck and got hit by the heat of the day, got myself inside, fell next to the air conditioner, and I was very glad that we as human beings have a desire to control. I could come inside, and it was a cool 71 degrees. That comes from our desire to control. Let's look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So here's, here's the first one of the three as God creates it. It says, and then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God looks and he says, I intended to create you for the purpose of dominating. That's not something you normally hear preached, is it? That you were created by God to dominate. You were created to control. He says it again in Genesis 9, verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon the beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. There once again he says as they're getting off of the, as they're getting off of the boat, they're getting off of the ark, he looks up and he says, you know what, the dread of you, you need to go out there, you're going to dominate this earth. The animals are going to fear you now. So we see this same thing happening. So we have a drive God created in us to control, to dominate, to rule. The second drive that is placed within us is this. It is the drive to procreate. God placed the drive for sexual activity inside each and every one of us. Genesis 1, 28a. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So God, right after saying, I'm going to create them in my likeness and I want them to go dominate the world, he looks at them next and says, and I want you to have a lot of babies. I want you to go out and have children. Go be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God put the drive to procreate within us. He reiterates this again to Noah as they're getting off of the ark again. In Genesis 9, 7, it says, And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. You see how they're mirrored here, these drives? God here placed the drive that all of us have, every human being, for companionship, procreation. It is placed within us. The last one is this. It is the drive to eat and to drink. In Genesis 1.29 it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, that every tree and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food. Likewise, as they come off of the ark, God says this in Genesis 9, 3. 
Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Which is kind of interesting because for the first uh, thousand or so years of humankind, they were a vegetarian. So what we see here are three drives that God has placed within us that we see him utter these three and only these three when he creates humanity. He says, I want you to dominate, I want you to have sex, and I want you to eat. Again, this is not what you normally hear from the pulpit. And then again, as we get to Genesis chapter 9, He says, as Noah's coming off, he's wiped out the earth. They were immoral. What does he tell them to do? Eat, have children, and dominate this earth. So it is in us. He put these drives in us. They're a part of what it means to be human. But as it is, I want you to realize that Satan, when he decided to ruin us, he did not invent something. He did not create a thing that we call evil. He did, what he did was he took the natural drives that were in us and he twisted and perverted them. That's what perversion means. It means to twist. He took the drives that were in us and he made them something other than what God intended. And we see that right there in the garden, Genesis 3. He comes up to Eve, and what, what's the temptation? I mean, look, all three are right there. All three are right there. What does he tempt her to do? Eat something she wasn't supposed to. He told her that if you eat of it, you will become like God. And immediately after eating it, they looked at each other and suddenly realized that they were naked, and they were ashamed. Satan took and ruined these three drives, poisoned them. And what you will find is there is not one person in here, there's not one person in this world that can ever say that Satan is the one that made me do anything. No, in fact, the, it is, our, is the twisting of our drives. Let's look at what James chapter 1 says in verse 14 to 15. James there writes, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it is fully grown, it brings forth Where is the root of sin? It, is, it, is, it originates in our desires. Satan twists them, draws us in, so that now these natural desires that God created in us, he has twisted them, and we use two words to represent them. We use the words lust or appetite. You have an appetite for control, an appetite for sex, or an appetite for food. You have lust for food, you can have lust for sex, and you can have lust for control. It's the same thing, lust and appetite. And it has increased, and it is twisted, and it is perverted. What he wants is us to chase after our desires in ways that do not honor God Do not honor us, but rather debase us and drive us further from God. When God intended for these three drives to draw us closer to him. 
In fact, he said, let us make man in our image. And he created us for dominion, procreation, and sustenance. So what we want to do, we have to learn, as Christ said, whoever wants to follow me must deny himself. It is these three things he is talking about. We must deny the desire for control that Satan is twisting in us to make us chase after controlling other people, to chase after money. We have got to deny his use of our drive to procreate for sinful and wicked practices. We must not allow Satan to twist our desire to eat and drink into something that is destructive. We must deny these things. So how do, we, how do we deny the desire to control? We do it by serving. We do it by serving. In Galatians 5, 13 to 14, Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brother. So he's saying, look, you have been set free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, meaning the self, for these uh, pursuits. Uh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What God intended when he created us for dominion was for us to go out and to um, rule the way he rules. He was sharing with us this world. And we were meant to go out and do the things that we have done. Bend this world to our will. Humanity has done that. That is the story. Ironically, culturally today, there's a large portion of our population that actually would find that to be an evil thing, but it was a God-given drive to conquer, to explore, to seek, to dominate. So Jesus tells us that in order to overcome, we must become servants. There are things that we can control and things that we cannot What God intends for you to control, listen up, what God intends for you to control are the things that you can control and not control the things that you cannot. But we as human beings, we want to control what we can't and we don't want to control what we can. I can control my actions, but I don't want to. I can't control what you do, but I want to. In fact, I get constantly, this nation is about ready to drive me nuts, people. People are nuts. I don't care about your politics. None of me. I don't, I, I honestly don't care. It's, it's all of these people that you have to agree with. No, no, no. You don't just have to agree with what they think. You have to approve of it. You have to okay it. And if not, they want you fired. They want you gone. They want you punished. They want you hurt. Why? When did this happen? I remember being brought up that difference of opinion is okay, that we can work together. But no, not in this world, not right now. No, you've got to control the behaviors of other people while at the same time proclaiming that you don't have to have any control of yourself. You made me feel bad. 
when someone says that, what does that mean? You change your behavior, I have no control over my emotions. That's exactly what we're talking about. You can't control what other people do. You only have control of self. It's obnoxious. So we deny self. Instead of trying to control others, Christians, unfortunately in the past, we've got a bad rep for trying to control the world. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to control ourselves. Paul deliberately says, he says, when I, when I told you to judge, I meant, those outside the, I, meant, I meant those inside the body, not those outside the body. What do you have to do with judging those outside the body? What he's saying there is, why are you surprised when sinful people are sinful? Let them be. Compelling someone, controlling someone to act a certain way because you think it's right, and even if you know it's right and it's godly, making someone who doesn't want to do it is pointless. It's meaningless. Look at Jesus as he went around. What did he do? Did he ever compel anybody? I want you to find me one example of where Jesus was walking around and exercised control over people. He looked at him and he said, no, you will do what I say. He didn't ever do that. He told them the truth. He said what the truth was. They accepted it and followed him, or they turned around and they walked away. And guess what? Jesus was absolutely okay. He was fine with it. Listen, this is what he says about this, this, this whole, uh, well, first of all, let me put this up there. I realized this this week. I didn't know this before. Here it is. Control and service are opposites. You cannot control someone and serve them at the same time. Can't do it. Service means you are submitted to someone else. Control means you are dominating someone else. Or let's take it outside of the realm of somebody else and let's just put it into your own realm. Can you both be self-serving and self-control? No, they're opposites. When we say that someone is self-serving, that means that they do whatever they want. They just follow their whims and their desires with no care of what anyone else thinks. Someone who is self-controlled controls their desires. They're opposites. Control and, and service, they're opposites. So if we as Christians seek to control the world, we will fail in the ministry that Jesus has called us to. He says this basically himself, Matthew 20, 25 to 28. But Jesus called them and called them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He sets up the principle. The control that you need to exert is over yourself. To make yourself a servant. To control what you can and to give it up. To deny what Satan wants you to do, which is to try to control the lives and the actions and the thoughts of other people. Let it go. Serve. Yeah, but you don't know how rude my neighbor is. What does your neighbor's attitude have to do with whether or not you are a servant? What does it have to do with it? 
You either want to control people or you want to serve people. Christ has called us to be self-controlled and servants of others. So serving is one of the ways that we humble ourselves and we deny ourselves before God. The second one, oh boy, here we go, chastity. Chastity. This one's fun. Everyone loves chastity. Chastity does not mean abstaining from sex. Oh, we're going to get uncomfortable, aren't we? That's okay. Abstinence does not mean abstaining from sex. Let's put the definition of chastity up here. Chastity is abstaining from sex outside of a marital covenant. If you are married and sleep only with your spouse, you are chaste. Chastity means that you have control over your desire and drive to procreate. It is under your control and submitted to the plan and the will of God. That is chastity. That means when I was single and I was not in a marital covenant, I abstained completely. Now that I am married, I only mostly abstain. And what I mean by that is, there's only one person out of the entire world. But hey, let's get even, let's make this even more uncomfortable. Can we do that? Because I don't care. Why not? In 1 Corinthians, not only that, Paul tells us that chastity when you're married is having sex as often as possible. Hear that from a pulpit. He says, do not deny each other, except for a short time so that you may pray. Other than that, God created you with that drive. He expects you to use it. Chastity is putting that drive in its proper context. Just like serving is putting control in its proper context. Christ showed us what it meant to have control. He could have destroyed everybody. He could have made everybody like robots and do what he wanted. He did not do that. He controlled self and let go of the control of the world. I am telling you, chastity is the same thing. You give up. You give up the, the, the desire to, to just go out and procreate with the sowing the wild oats nonsense, and you put it within the context that God created it. You make it obedient to him. But it's more than just action, isn't it? So we go into Matthew 5, 27 to 28. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks lustfully upon a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So men, if you do not cheat on your spouse, you do not sleep with anyone else, but you turn on the internet and you're looking at porn, you are not chaste. If there is a woman that you secretly lust after or think about at the office, you are not chaste. Women, if you are reading a romance novel and you are enjoying the, the whatever nonsense is going on in there, you are not chaste. 
That drive has one place. It is within the marital covenant. That is chastity. And it is self-control. It is also self-denial. Because Satan has twisted that desire into something perverse. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 20, Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Meaning this physical body is actually a part of Jesus. That's what he's saying. He says, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined with a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price so Glorify God in your body. I remember a commercial, uh, I think I was in high school, maybe it was a little later. It, was, it wasn't in America because they couldn't have got away with it. Um, the commercial showed two people kissing in, 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 in a bed with the sheets on, nothing else, they were just kissing. And it, sa- it said, every person you sleep with is like sleeping with every other person that that person has slept with. They just kept pulling back and back and back. It was just until there was like thousands of beds and thousands of people. And the imagery there is every time you unite, you unite with what has been united with everything else. It's kind of what Paul is saying. When you come to the Lord, you become one in spirit with him. He comes and he dwells in this, but you are one with him. And when you go and are not chased, when you go and you follow this drive into places it's not supposed to go, you are taking and you are uniting him in that sin. You're taking him and you are uniting him with the other person as well. Chastity, controlling. We are God's temple. And so we humbly offer this body to him. It is his. Galatians 2.20, my favorite. For I am crucified with Christ, therefore it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Finally, the other drive was eating and drinking. Probably the greatest of them. Some of you are probably looking and going, it's 11.10, it's time to eat, and you're already thinking about what you're going to eat here in about 30 minutes. Because from the moment we get up, we're thinking about what we're going to eat for breakfast. When we're at work, we're thinking about lunch, and then when we're home, we're thinking about what it is that we're going to cook and eat when we get there. We are obsessed with these three things, with control and sex and food. Satan has twisted this this eating and drinking into something completely unhealthy as well. He has twisted it into something destructive, something that we have lost control over. So how do we humble ourselves before God using our drive to eat and drink? And the answer in Scripture is fasting. That is how you demonstrate a control over it, a mastery of it. Though most of us do not fast as we could, It's obvious that Jesus expected that we would do it. In Matthew 6, 16 to 18, he says, And when you fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it's not about humbling yourself in front of other people and showing other people how disheveled and, oh, look how holy I am. That's not humility. In fact, if you want to be humble, you wouldn't even let anybody know. But fasting is a way that we humble ourselves. It creates a powerful connection with God. I cannot answer the question how. I could speculate but I don't like speculating. The scriptures do not tell us how it works. But when the people were in need, they knew that if they fasted, it not only humbled themselves, but it also elevated them in the presence of God. Again, I don't know how, but that's what it does. The only thing I can think, here I said I wasn't going to speculate. The only reason I think that that could even be possible is because, you know, of all the things, you can go your entire life without sex and be fine. You can go your entire life without control and be fine. You cannot go your entire life without food and be fine. It's going to be a very short life if you go without food. And so to take something that is needed on a daily basis and sacrifice that for him, to say, to demonstrate to him that we need him, we want him, we desire him more than the most basic of necessities? I think that's what it is. It's, a, it's one of our biggest sacrifices. But we see in Acts 13, 2 to 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on him and sent them off. Fasting was a part of worship. It was a part of prayer. It was something that they It was something that they did. Cornelius received his vision to send for Peter when he was fasting. Peter was up on the roof fasting about food when he was told to go to Cornelius. We see in in intimate times, not always. There are times when God speaks to them and and, and they're just praying and things happen. But there's something about fasting that brings this connection closer. I don't know. But I know there is a connection, there is a respect that God shows to us when we lay down our most basic desire. When when you look at Jesus in the garden, he went out and... um, well, I mean, he basically gave up all three. He gave, when he came to the earth, he gave up control. He didn't engage in relations. And, um, and he spent a lot of time fasting. So you have him in the garden, or not in the garden, I'm sorry, in the, uh, in the wilderness for 40 days he's fasting. Satan comes and tempts him with three things. Food, control, and legacy. What's going to remain of you after you're gone? The procreation kind of thought. See, that's the, the, these are the core aspects of who we are. Self-denial is at the root of Christianity. Self is rooted in eating, procreation, 
and control. So denying self is learning how to deny the twisted nature that sin has created in us. Instead, controlling and turning these things back over to the one who created them for a purpose. I want to read this last scripture. Galatians chapter 5, 24 to 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I I want to pause there for a second. The first one isn't conditional. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, the second is conditional. If we live by the Spirit, then let's keep in step with the Spirit. This morning, Jesus extends the invitation again as he does each day to every believer. In Mark, it used that passage we started with, uh, the one uh, that, that anyone who wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In Mark, it adds the words daily. Each day we are faced with the question of Christ asking us, is today about you or is it about me? Is it about your kingdom or my kingdom? Is it about your family or my family? Is it about your wealth or my riches? Is it about your name or my name? And every day, we're asked, are we going to turn over what God put in us and give it to him for his use? Will we continue to walk the path we have? He's inviting you this morning to deny yourself and come follow him. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation.